This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Next, we have uh, today's scripture reading, which is taken from the uh, book of 1 Peter, chapter 3, verses 13 to chapter 4, verse 11. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into the heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans chose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks in the very words of God. 
If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God. We now have Pastor Andrew uh, to preach to us today's sermon. Hey, good morning, everyone. Hey, um, really good welcome to everyone here, especially those who may be guests joining us here for the first time today, or perhaps you come to witness the transfers of uh, Angie and Jeannie, or Dom and Eunice. Now, today we're going to be covering quite a lot of uh, passage uh, together in front of all of us. So, what's going to happen is uh, I really need for you to really pay attention especially next, for the next half an hour, because uh, if not, uh, you're going to get a bit lost. So I really hope that you can follow uh, what I am saying. All right, so let's go to God in prayer. Uh, dear fathers, we come before you today. We thank you so much for Chinese New Year and the break that it's given us. But uh, help us to remember once again that uh, this moment in time is merely but uh, one day in the light of eternity. We pray for ourselves that as we come before you today, that uh, once again, we thank you for your word. <clears throat> we thank you for your word, which speaks to us clearly. And uh, we just pray that uh, your Holy Spirit may be working in our hearts so that we will truly be able to understand what you're saying and then the understanding to be able to apply it in our lives. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah, today, I want to ask, uh, begin by asking the question, uh, what is your pain threshold? Okay, so the first thing I want to uh, ask you all is, uh, what is your uh, pain threshold? Now, for those of you who know me, you may actually realize that my pain threshold is actually very, very low. So uh, if you look at the slide, which should be coming up very soon, I'm the person to your left, okay? So I'm the person, the pink. Okay, uh, I, 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 I'm very, very bad with, uh, with pain. And I guess like most of you, if you are faced with pain, we try to eliminate pain. So, you know, if you have pain, you take Panadol so the pain goes away. Uh, if you have some physical ailment, you can see your physiotherapist or your sensei. Uh, if you have some problem, which is causing you pain, then usually, I don't know whether it's the same for you, but it is for me, I try to find out what's causing the pain, and I stop doing it so the pain will disappear. Now, in today's passage, it seems like God has this really unique and uh, strange attitude to Christian pain. Because in today's passage, he seems to be saying something contrary and opposite to what we usually think about our experience of pain, which is that being a Christian Remaining a Christian and behaving a Christian requires us to be willing to suffer pain and to keep suffering pain. Now, why is, uh, why is God telling us this today? What is the point of it all? Now, if you may remember, uh, many, many weeks ago, we started out by looking at the overview of the book of 1 Peter. Now, as we look at the book of 1 Peter, uh, we saw that the purpose of 1 Peter was found right at the very end of the book, in chapter 5, verse 12, where it says that the true purpose of, the, uh, of Peter writing 1 Peter was so that people would stand fast in the true grace of God. And this was like a melody which was kind of playing in the whole background of the book of 1 Peter 
throughout the book as we are reading it, to stand fast or to hold fast to the true grace of God. And as we look now in today's passage, we see what the central issue of the problem is. You know, why is it Peter had to write this book? And the heart of the problem, the root of the problem, really is about Christians in the first century suffering pain, suffering discomfort. By being Christian and by behaving as Christians, they were suffering, suffering pain, suffering discomfort. And this, in a sense, was causing them to lose their grip on being Christian. They were stopping being Christian and stopping behaving as Christians. And so to think of it in terms of the COVID situation, uh, what we read in 1 Peter is a bit like a vaccination. Right? You know, you vaccinate yourself, stop yourself getting sick from COVID. And so 1 Peter really is like a vaccination given by God through Peter so that people will be able to resist suffering, the problem of pain and discomfort, and to be able to still hold fast and to stand fast as being Christians. So let's begin now. Uh, as we go through the book of 1 Peter chapter 3. So it says here, right at the very beginning of the section that we're looking at today, finally all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called, so that you may receive a blessing. Now, I think that as we look at this first section, we actually see that the first part was written uh, to the church or to Christians or community of believers. Uh, because this first section here tells them that they are to be uh, like-minded, as to be all of you, and to love one another. In fact, some other uh, translations say you must love one another as brothers. So this first verse really speaks to their actions as Christians together in community. But in verse 9, he moves very quickly to speaking about their relationship with the wider society, the wider world itself. And this is where we're going to be spending most of the time for the rest of the sermon, because this is where Peter and God's word is going to be bringing us to. And so he says, do not repay evil with evil. Now, it seems as if uh, when they were living in this world of the first century for Christians, they were experiencing evil and insult. There was a hostile world that they were experiencing. And the temptation for Christians then, as it is for us today, because we're all humans, right? Is that when people do bad things to us, we have a temptation to want to even the score. Right? You know, you hit me, I hit you back. You insult me, I insult you back. You just have to go to every playground in Singapore, every school, and every office. And that's the way people react. Right? It's like, you know, you do bad things to me, I do bad things to you. But what seems to be happening here? is that God is calling us not to normal behavior, but to abnormal behavior. Because the passage then goes on to tell us that we are not to respond in this way. We're not to repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Now, I think 
it's very important for us to remember the, the whole thread or the, you know, why, why Peter had been saying this all along. So he had been saying in chapter 2 all along that we have a new identity. We were now the holy temple or the spiritual house of God. We are the royal priesthood. We are now saved by the sacrifice of Jesus, the lamb for us. Now as a result, because of who we are, we need to be Christians, but not just be Christians, but we are too. We're actually to behave as Christians. Not just be Christians, but to behave as Christians. And how are we to behave as Christians? We are to die to sins and to live for righteousness. To die to sins and to live for righteousness. Now, what this means then, as we come to this part of the Bible in chapter 3, is that we are not to be provoked when people insult us, when people do evil to us, we are not to go back to our sins and do evil for evil or insult for insult. But instead, we are to bless and to favor and to go to them with benevolence and goodwill. Right? So instead of being provoked, we are to bless them, give them favor, and to have goodwill. Now, this passage here is not saying that you know, if, if, if people attack me and want to murder me, or they want to rob me, or they want to rape my, my wife, then I, I, know I just sit there and say, okay, no evil for evil, right? I mean, that's not what the passage is saying here. I, I have a right to defend myself. I have a right to protect my family. But this is within the context of living in a hostile world, being a Christian, and behaving as a Christian. When people respond to me with hostility, evil and insult, the Bible actually says that I'm not to give in to sinfulness and become like that and be provoked like that, but instead I'm to respond with blessing, goodwill, and favor. Now the reason why then comes in the very next section. It says for Christians to do this because, why? Because to this you were called, you were called to respond this way, so that you may inherit a blessing. Right? So that you may inherit a blessing. Now, what is this blessing that God has in mind that motivates us to want to not be provoked to sin or not be provoked to insult or evil? The blessing that God has in mind comes in the very next section. Because in the next section, he says, for whoever would love life, would love life and see good days. Love life and see good days. So this is the blessing that God has in mind for his people. The people who resist the temptation of being provoked to respond with evil, with evil, insult with evil. Now, the good days here are not like good health, good prosperity, or you know, good results at school. Because we've already seen from the early parts of the 1 Peter that the life and the good days that God has in mind is the eternal life of the heavens, the treasures in heavens which are kept for us as an inheritance by God himself. Now, I hope that you're following me so far because you can see that, you know, I'm moving pretty quickly through the passage. 
And I'm sort of tying everything together, but I hope that you can follow what I'm saying. So God is saying, look, keep doing good. Don't be provoked to do evil because the living hope of the treasures of eternity and inheritance of heaven, which cannot spoil or fade or perish, are waiting there for you. And that alone is motivation for us not to be provoked to go back to sinful behavior. Now, the passage then goes on by quoting Psalm chapter 34, by once again saying, look, die to sins and live for righteousness, right? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Turn from evil and live for righteousness. Do good, seek peace and pursue it. See, the Christian person here recognizes that we have all the more reason as we are Christians to be Christian and to behave as Christian and not to be provoked back into sin. Now, for those of you today who may not believe in Jesus, who may not not believe in God, this is the heart of what uh, God's good intentions are. He wants for us, indeed, to have a good life. God wants for us to have good days ahead of us. He wants for us to be His people and to be transformed in our behavior. Now, the passage we're looking here actually is a direct quotation from Psalm chapter 34. I always remember there's a very good uh, speaker which I listen to on podcasts quite often. His name is David Jackman. And he was always saying that the Bible provides for us good illustrations. Psalm 34, which is quoted for us here in 1 Peter, was written by David, King David. Now David, in his history, uh, records for us Psalm 34, which kind of like is the context of a certain incident which happened to him when he, before he became the king. And so before David became king, he was someone who served God faithfully and he protected God's people. But sadly, he served under an evil king, King Saul. King Saul was threatened by the success of David. He was jealous, he was insecure, and he wanted to murder David. And so he wanted to see, if you see here, an evil spirit from the Lord came to Saul. And what did he try to do? He tried to pin David to the wall with a spear. Like, you know, you pin a butterfly or uh, insect or something like that. And so David had every temptation, every right to respond against King Saul. You know, if like, you, know, you want to throw a spear at me, then David had every right to throw a spear and murder King Saul. But what did David do? David sought only good and favor towards King Saul. He ran away, if you remember, in the book of 1 Samuel, he hid from King Saul, he didn't want to kill God's king. He didn't want to do evil. And this context here is very important for us because as King David writes Psalm 34, the reason why he says that he doesn't respond evil with evil, murder with murder, is what we have just read. Because he wants to, sorry, oops. He wants to see good days and he wants to have life. So what have we learned in this first section? Well, in this first section, we've learned that 
in order to hold fast to being a Christian, you have to behave as a Christian. To behave as a Christian, you must be willing to suffer and to keep suffering. You must be willing to suffer and to keep suffering and not be provoked into sin. You must bless and seek peace instead. And as a result, you will see life and you will have good days. There's someone I know who uh, left church, not our church actually, not left as in left permanently. He, he left church on a Sunday after listening to a sermon like this. Right, um, it's a true story because this guy told it to me personally. He, he was at church on a Sunday and he, uh, Sunday service had finished, he listened to a sermon just like you all were. And he went out and uh, someone told him to move his car. Uh, obviously, this guy was not happy with the way that he parked. And so this guy spoke to this Christian guy quite rudely. So this Christian guy then related to me how he got very upset. And so he replied very rudely to this guy who spoke to him rudely to move his car. And so harsh words were exchanged, more harsh words were exchanged. And then finally, this Christian guy punched the other guy. Don't forget, this guy was just in church like what, half an hour at most, right? And so that's what happens, isn't it? It's like he got provoked. Insult led to insult. Harsh words led to harsh words. And then finally, a punch was thrown. And so as we look at this passage, God is telling us, look, do not be provoked. Do not repay evil with evil. Insult evil. It's insult with insult. But instead, keep behaving as a Christian, exercise your self-control. The passage then goes on to verse three of thirteen, sorry, of uh, chapter three, where it says, "Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere." Christ as Lord, or in the other translation, set apart Christ as Lord. Now, this is a very, very strange verse, set of verses, right? Because if you really pay attention, the logic doesn't quite hold together when you first read it. The first thing is, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? The expectation for this question is no one, right? That's what the question, the way it's phrased, implies. But then in the very next verse, in verse 14, it, it assumes that you will suffer. Even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear. So the very next verse, in verse 14, tells you not to fear things which actually, in the first verse, tells you that you shouldn't expect to receive. But how not to fear when you're threatened? How not to fear when you are being harmed? And then the last part also is confusing. How is setting aside Christ as Lord going to help with your fears? Okay, so if you read this passage closely and sincerely and honestly, very confusing. But I think the answer comes later on in verse 18 to 22. A bit complicated in and of itself, right? Verse 18 to 22. Let me read it to you. Uh, because this is 
very important to understand what's happening here. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey. When God's presence waited in the days of Noah, or the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers, having been subject to him. Very seemingly confusing passage, but let me see whether I can help us understand it. The first thing that we read here is that it comes back to the person of Jesus Christ. Right? It comes back to the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ also suffered. So Jesus Christ suffered as Christians suffer then, as Christians suffer today. But the thing about Jesus' suffering is that it is good that he suffered because he suffered for, it says here, for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. So once again, for those of you who are non-believers, for those of you who are Christians, it is good that Jesus suffered. It is good that he suffered and died because he died for our sins, the one who is righteous, for us who are unrighteous. And the purpose is that he might bring us to God. But the main point of this section really is that Jesus might be put to death in the flesh, but made to be alive in the spirit. So Jesus suffered, Jesus died, Jesus rose again. And here we come to this very, very important topic of the baptism. Okay? This section really is about baptism, a lot of it. We didn't have a baptism today, but we're having a baptism in the second service. Now, he goes on to say and talk a lot about baptism. Now, baptism here, it says, first and foremost, number one, right, is not the removal of dirt from the body because baptism in itself cannot cleanse you of your sin. It's Jesus' death on the cross which cleanses us from sin, not the baptism itself. But the baptism is an appeal to God for a good conscience. And so what he says here is that baptism, the water represents like a decisive break from the past life to the new life. Okay, so just like if you remember, for those of you, we don't have super long to explain it, but if you remember the flood came and the flood in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, we studied not too long ago, represented a break from the the widespread sin of all those generations living there, and the new generation of Noah, which was a, a new generation, a break where there's a new, a new chance, right? a new chance for a godly line. And so what God is saying here is that baptism is a symbol of new life. When you are baptized, you're saying that the old life of sin is decisively broken. There's a 
There's a, there's that line happened there. And there's a new life where you no longer live for sin, but you live with a pledge of a good conscience before God. And therefore, you must be willing to suffer and to keep suffering because you're not living for sin anymore, but you're living for a pledge of good conscience before God. Now, the passage keeps going on and talks about baptism, which also says through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, baptism also represents unity with Jesus. When we are baptized, it represents that we are now united with Jesus. And so we die together with Christ. We are raised together with Christ. And finally, as we see here, we go to heaven together with where Jesus is. See, that's what baptism represents. It's not just a break from the past to the present, but unity with Jesus Christ. And that's why once we understand what baptism is about, then we can understand and unpack a bit more about what this passage is really trying to tell us. You see, this, there's a very difficult passage, uh, section here where it talks about how Jesus went through the Spirit to proclaim to the spirits in prison that did not formally obey, who lived in a time of Noah. Now, this is super, super complicated, right? What, I mean, what's happening here? I think the simplest way to really understand it is uh, Jesus, through the Spirit, kind of proclaims victory over all the sin and wickedness of, and evil uh, of the spirits which existed during the time of Noah. He proclaims victory over unjust suffering. And he proclaims victory over death. And once we understand that we are united with Jesus in baptism, if we set apart or revere Jesus Christ in our hearts, then we too experience victory over sin, victory over evil, victory over unjust suffering, victory over death itself. Now, if that's the case, then that makes very much clearer what the Bible passage was saying earlier on. Because what harm, who is going to harm us? No one can harm us. Because we have already been saved to eternal life. What do we fear? We do not fear their threats because we know that Jesus has already achieved victory over the very things that are threatening us. And here it makes sense that our hearts are meant to set apart Christ as Lord because that is who he truly is. He is Lord sitting at the right side of God the Father himself in heaven. And so there is no greater loyalty, there's no priority, there's no greater allegiance than to Jesus as Lord because he truly is the Lord. So if that's the case, uh, what we've really seen here then is the next part, right? The next part which is, says that we are to continue to hold fast to God's grace, to be willing to suffer and to keep suffering because we must do good and to keep a pledge of clear conscience before God because in baptism, we've now been united with Christ in victory over suffering and death. So why must we suffer and keep suffering? Because 
Victory has already been won. We do not fear suffering. We do not fear the threats of a hostile world because Jesus has already won victory over these things. Now, the last part, the last section uh, now comes where in chapter 4, verse 1 to 6, it says that since Christ has suffered in this way, then we too must be willing to what it says there, to put on this armor. Okay, this armor, arm yourselves with the same attitude. It's a bit like putting on armor, right? That's exactly what the word means, arm yourselves with it. So the willingness to arm ourselves with this attitude of the willingness to suffer and to keep suffering helps us in two ways. It helps us to deal with sin on the inside, right? So the first part here says that it helps us to be done with sin, right? Oops, sorry, wrong one, huh? Whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. He will not live his earthly lives for human desires, but rather the will of God. So if you're willing to suffer, you are done with the sins that come from your heart, evil human desires, but to do the will of God. And that's true. If you're willing to suffer, then you, you can put to death the sin that comes from within you. So I remember, uh, remember reading somewhere this quote from uh, J.R.R. Tolkien. Okay, he was the one that wrote uh, The Lord of the Rings. And he gave this quote about faithfulness in marriage, which I thought was very deep and profound. And uh, I won't read the whole thing because you can read it yourselves. But he says, faithfulness in marriage entails this very chim word, which is great, oops, oops, great mortification. And I thought, wow, this sounds, I must go and learn this word, mortification, right? Sounds like you're very learned, okay? But then again, if you can write the Lord of the Rings, you must be pretty learned, lah. So what is great mortification? Mortification is this idea of punishing the body, disciplining the body. And that's what he's saying, like, you know, you want to be faithful in marriage, you need to practice self-denial, a conscious exercise of the will. It is mortification, self-discipline, self-punishment of the body, right? To resist temptation. And that's exactly what this passage is saying here. If you are willing to suffer, you arm yourself with this same attitude of suffering, you are done with sin inside. But not only are you done with sin inside, the passage goes on to say that you are done with sin outside the body. So the pressure which comes from outside of your body, as in people laughing at you, people uh, you know, heaping abuse at you, uh, these things will not stop you from behaving as a Christian, from continuing to do good. The reason is because at the end of the day, it says very clearly here that everyone, right, the living and the dead, will all have to give an account to the God who judges us. But verse 6 is the key. Verse 6 says, But for this is the reason the gospel was preached to even those who are now dead, so that those who might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the See, when you hear the gospel of salvation, when you receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you accept this good news of salvation, 
then you know that you can pass through judgment. You're not scared of any judgment at all. In fact, you're not scared of God's judgment and you're not scared of the judgment of human beings because you know, what does it say there at the end? That you will live according to God in regard to the Spirit. Now, for those of you who are paying attention, you would remember that this was used of Jesus, remember? Sorry. This was used of Jesus, remember? He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So in the same way, right, we live according to God in regard to the Spirit. So we no longer fear judgment. We no longer fear death. We no longer fear the, the threats of the world because we now know that we have eternal life just like Jesus did according to the Spirit. So as we come to the end of this section, and I hope that you've been able to follow me to quite a, a dense passage, it says that we are to continue to stand fast and do the will of God because we have received and accepted the gospel of salvation and we do not fear judgment anymore, but, more, but we live by the Spirit. Now, in conclusion, uh, when I was young, girl, right, uh, when I was in theological college, I used to have to travel into uh, theological college. And so I used to carry this huge bag of uh, all my commentaries. You know, in those days, it's not like today, everything is e-books, right? It's like in those days, you actually physically had like, you know, all these big, heavy tomes of commentaries and, and, and you know, translation tools and dictionaries. And so my back started hurting. And so I went to see the physiotherapist. I spent half my money on physiotherapist. Linda can tell you. <laughs> okay, so my back was hurting. So I went to see the physiotherapist in Australia. But, but thankfully, actually Australia is quite good because my insurance paid for more than half of it. So it wasn't that expensive. And so my physiotherapist said, oh, you know, you shouldn't be carrying such a heavy bag because that's what's causing your back pain. And so, you know, I figured out a way of getting a locker or something, leaving half my books there and bringing half my load. But that's the attitude that we have with suffering, right? You know, it's like suffering, find out the problem, lighten the load. But the temptation that we could have is that we lighten our Christian load. We stop behaving so much as Christians so that we don't suffer so much. And we stop being Christian so that we don't suffer so much. But today, as we see this summary, we need to hold fast. We need to hold fast to the grace of God. We need to be willing to suffer and to keep suffering. And by doing so, we need not to be provoked to keep sinning or to go back to sin. We need to keep a clear pledge of conscience before God. We need to keep doing the will of God in our lives. Because it is only through being willing to suffer and to keep suffering that we will see life and good days. Because we know that united with Jesus Christ in baptism, we will have victory over suffering and in death. So, as part of the reflection questions, for those of you who are home, I'm not sure if you are going to go for your breakout groups after this, uh, are you willing to suffer? And are you willing to keep suffering to identify yourself as a Christian? To keep doing good, to do God's will, to live a transformed righteousness, transformed righteous life, 
not to go along with sinning, keeping a pledge of good conscience as you bless and seek peace with those who sin against you. Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we truly want to ask you to prepare our hearts and our minds to arm ourselves with the same attitude of Jesus Christ, to be willing to suffer and to keep suffering in order to live a transformed life in Jesus Christ. To be Christian, but to also behave as a Christian. Dear Father, we know the very human, normal uh, reaction to suffering is to pull back and to lighten the load so that we will not experience suffering anymore. But dear Father, help us to see that that is foolish. For we do wish to see good days. We do wish to see life, eternal life. And we know that through baptism, we have committed ourselves to a pledge of, conscious, of a good conscience before you. And we are united with Jesus. We have died with Jesus. And so we will rise with Jesus and we will go up to heaven with him. And so, dear Father, help us to be willing to keep being Christian and to behave as Christians, even if we suffer. And so we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.